We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hi Parth. hey trent it's been a while no really it's uh, my first uh first time back in the pod in a while you're looking well what have you been eating well trent we're recording at 9 45 in the morning or 9 44 to be exact i have to leave very soon we're in a rush snappy intro yeah that's a classic parth trent intro you know what i mean Yep, but we really took we really took our time with this interview. Months we of did, yes, m- months of planning I, and emailing. I looked I looked at the email chain, and I believe it was fifty three emails between me and the publicists. Um, and part there, dare I say, worth it? Yes, I, I agree. But what was also worth it was the one singular chip, Tostitos chip that I ate. Um, so that I could, uh, have something to eat, uh, for this intro because I woke up at, I went to bed very late, probably like around three and then, um, had to wake up for this intro and I was not hungry. And then I was like, but I got to eat something. Seaparth, while your chip may have been worth it, my snack, my last chosen snack was not worth it because last night. I ate a whole bag of Sour Patch Kids just in my bed, like Oof. a little crazy man, and I knew as I was doing it, like, this is going to cause some stomach turmoil. Let me tell you, it did. Nice. Um, but the only thing better than um, a cold Sour Patch Kid is a free Sour Patch Kid, because I stole it from work. From, so. from Rooftop? Nice. Well, I mean, don't you don't have to give all the information. From about, Rooftop Cinema? Uh, on West thirty seven Manhattan, right? On West thirty seventh Street, um, yeah. So Nick Long is, works there, right? Anyways. What's the What's the sound? Is that Is that the intro? You can basically hear the intro music. You can almost hear it. I really hope it doesn't cut me. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, this week, we have... Parth, who do we got? We have our first ever returning guest. We have production designer Ruth DeYoung. She worked on Nope last time we talked with her, um, but this time she worked on Oppenheimer. Um, And... Trent, is this a two-parter? Yeah, uh, I, from the way you just said that, I would imagine it is a two-parter. Yeah, it's, um, it's a two-parter. We had another awesome hour-long discussion. We'll be splitting it up into, I assume, two 30-minute chunks. Part unless you're going to do like a 50-10 split. Would that make more sense? Well, Trent, if you want to be impressed with me, I edited the entire interview the day we recorded the interview. And, and uh, but, uh I believe the f- this first part is 25 minutes. Um, Sometimes you edit the discussion, or you have in the past, immediately after we have it, and I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not fun. 
But yeah, uh, we talked with Ruth DeYoung. Uh, this part, really cool. She talks about getting involved with the movie. She she uh, finished work on Nope on a Tuesday and started work on Oppenheimer on a Wednesday. And since this is our first return guest, I feel like it kind of like changed the structure. The dynamic. The yeah. dyna- well, the, not only dynamic, but I was going to say like, just the general arc of the questions is usually yeah, there's, like, there's no, how'd you get involved or how'd you, how'd you start in the industry? And, and stuff. there's no like rogue questions about her peeing on there will be blood, which you can find in our first uh, episode with her. But now it's really just all Oppenheimer all the time. Is it that, it is, is that... all Oppenheimer all the time. Um, dare I say this is a, this, this interview is the bomb. Hmm. And we're a pot at the bomb.com. Mm. Maybe. This, the, there's some details revealed in this episode. Explosive. Yes. Uh, for real, Ruth DeYoung, she was a very, um, she was uh, very professional, more than us. Um, and I think this interview went great. Yes. Uh, all right. So um, we'll see you at the end, guys. Cue the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Ruth DeYoung. She's the production designer that worked on such projects as Manchester by the Sea, Twin Peaks The Return, Nope, for which we did an interview last year, as well as our film for today, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Thank you so much for being here today, and welcome back to the show. Thank you both. Happy to be back. Yeah, so we talked a little bit last year about getting involved with Oppenheimer, so if you could just give us a a little refresher as to how you came to meet Christopher Nolan. Yes, of course. Well, I have Hoyte to thank for that. Um, we were both on Nope together. I think you have to remind me when we spoke about Nope, had I, st- I was on Oppenheimer, correct? I believe. I think you, if principal photography was done, I think. We, we talked yeah. about how you shot in Princeton, New Jersey. Yes, I yeah. remember that. <laughs> so we, okay. But I, what you were able to discuss was very limited at the time. Right, of course. Um, so Hoyte approached me one day on set and just said, look, um, you know, I'd love to connect you with Chris and Emma. Uh, they're looking for a production designer. And I said, what? Um, they ha- were longtime collaborators with Nathan Crowley, who has done, I think, most all of Chris's pictures, if not all of them. Um, and I said, absolutely, of course. And I got a call from Emma and they invited me down to their office. And we we had a great um, just several hour meeting Um and and then that was that was that. And then next thing, um, I want to say this was we were just a couple weeks left of principal photography with Nope. Um, and you know, Chris was like, "Look, I want to start immediately." Uh, so we wrapped Nope on a Tuesday, and I was in his office on a Wednesday, which I've never done a, awesome. two back to back features of this scope and scale so i in one sense it was great because you have all the momentum you have your teams you just flow and go one right into the other but of course it was um entirely different subject matter different different beast in its own right and um but it was exciting and and i obviously was thrilled to be able to collaborate with hoita again for a second time um we had such a wonderful experience on nope together so at least they were both really small indie just, movies. Yeah, a couple 
you know, 20, 30 day shoot, no big deal. One location. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we read that, uh, you spent 10 to 12 weeks, uh, talking with Christopher Nolan about the design of the film. And, uh, if, could you tell us what those conversations were like or what that time was spent doing? Yes. It, 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 it. Uh, you know, every director has their way of working, which I always enjoy. You know, it's 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 the collaboration period in, in prep is so different um, film to film. And Chris has a unique way where he likes to um, just work one on one with the production designer, which is incredible because you you take this script um, and you have. yeah it was somewhere between eight to 12 weeks I don't remember exactly before other yeah maybe it was um yeah maybe 10 to 12 but you get to just dive into this script and and just erect you know and, and brainstorm about what it is you're going to do in the worlds you're going to build and I think um not having worked with Chris before it was also just an incredible incredible introduction to getting to know each other and and spending that time and um what's important to him what what he's looking for what he wants what he desires from this specific picture um and and obviously being the writer director it's it's he's written it all he's thinking about it he's been thinking about it i think you know he started writing this i want to say in COVID, if not before and was so immersed in the material the subject so it was um we could get i guess down to the core very quickly and um, our main focus initially was los alamos and he wanted to absolutely build it from the ground up um and he had already previously gone and scouted Los Alamos during COVID. I think he and his son took a, a trip. They drove out there, the actual Los Alamos where Oppenheimer had set up. It's, it's now a thriving town. Um, it's very populated. It's very dense. There's a Starbucks on every other corner. There's strip malls, there's schools, you know, it was, and, and he had said to me, he's like, look, I'd love for you to go see that. You can go see it whenever you'd like, but I've been there. I'm not interested in shooting there. Um, so we, I really want to find our own Los Alamos, same idea on a plateau in the middle of nowhere, epic vistas, expanses. And, you know, we talked about a lot about kind of early, early Westerns and, and just the, the vastness of, of those. Um, and, so initially, I think right off the bat, we were simultaneously breaking down the script, talking about Los Alamos, and also getting on an airplane and kind of uh, starting to go scout New Mexico. And we looked at Utah, and uh, we took a trip back east. We went to New York, we went to D.C., New Jersey, um, and just were wanted to, you know, go back to every actual location, Berkeley, um, that was in the script where Oppenheimer, uh, had, had existed and, um, but not really sure how all the puzzle pieces were going to fit together, cast schedule, budget approach, how many days are we shooting? How are we doing this calendar? So it was a great, and what was so nice about that was just, we got to go scout those locations without any, we weren't 
trying to fit any of it into a structure or a schedule or this is it. We have to shoot here. It was just absorbing it, taking it in, you know, going to all the actual locations and, um, and then applying that to, to our film. And it was, to me, that was incredible. And the framework for what we were able to do, because when you don't, you know, anytime you're going on a tech scout or a director scout and you've got producers and crew, it, it's, you almost can't get to the core of, and just the conversations. I mean, I remember when we went to DC, we toured the entire capital. We went to the actual, um, uh, hearing room where Strauss's trial took place. And that was incredibly inspiring. And we're like, we have to shoot here. Well, no one lets you shoot at the Capitol. We're like, maybe they will. <laughs> we tried very hard. But um, so, but then we ended up just ditching our vehicle and we walked from the Capitol. We walked the entire lawn um, or the mall, I guess you would call it. And the mall is where all of the temp buildings um, during World War II, the U.S. government put up um, tons. I don't even know how many uh, temporary buildings uh, and Room 2022 was in one of those buildings where Strauss kind of set up Oppenheimer's demise. And I think it was just, there was something about um, being, and same thing in New Jersey, we walked around IAS and we walked from the, the main IAS building to the director's house around the pond. It was just a lot of walking and talking and thinking and absorbing and, you know, thinking about Oppenheimer in these circumstances, in these places, um, walking the grounds of Princeton, walking the grounds of Berkeley. Uh, it, it was, uh, th there was something about it that I think stuck with both Chris and I, the entire prep, because we always could go back to that. And even if, um, we couldn't shoot in this place or that place, the essence of what we absorbed and toured and took in contributed, you know, contributed to what it is we needed to do. Um, and obviously fast forward to production started core, you know, a lot of um, my art department had started and the ADs had started producers started. So there's then all this stuff getting thrown at us with like, well, this is what we can afford. This is how many days you know, we're going to shoot in California and New Mexico. And we're like, but what about Princeton and Berkeley and New York and DC? It's like, we can't afford to go there. And so then it's great because you have all of this. Um, it, it, we, it, we had it all within us, Chris and I, so we were able to kind of just let that settle and, and, and work that out. And um, the film, obviously you guys both saw is, is, is how we ended up. And I think, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's fascinating how all, it, it, all that stuff ends up, you know, getting just uh, it, almost thrown into like a snow globe and shaken up and then you have to rework it all. But we ended up doing the majority of Washington DC in New Mexico. Um, both there was a wonderful tax incentive and, um, it also not moving around so many times, um, you know, it just saves cost. And, um, so that, that was a big challenge. Um, we obviously ended up settling at, on a Los Alamos in 
New Mexico, which was along the same mountain range as the existing Los Alamos. So it had a lot of the same topography and the rock formations. And we were on our own little plateau, which you see. And what it did give us was an epic 360. And it gave us our own private back lot. And you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. You're not, you know, all the telephone poles you see we brought in, we put up. Um, so it really was at the core kind of what uh, Oppenheimer was, you know, he took these people to the middle of nowhere and uh, commandeered this boys school. And we utilized the boys school, the lodge, which we um, was up at Los Alamos proper. So what we ended up doing when we were designing the town, we realized, I think I, I originally had this very elaborate town Um and I wouldn't even say that it was that elaborate. It's just the actual Los Alamos was massive. And the means that the U.S. government had to throw at this project was immense, much, much more than I ever had. So, um, <laughs> and the people to do it, uh, not to mention we were building this town in the dead of winter in New Mexico. We were dealing with snow and rain and ice, and it was a mess. Um but the construction team led by Jonas Kirk was just incredible and they persevered and pressed on. And I mean, there are days it's like, we can't even get up to the plateau. um, We're going to have to wait. So it was just, it was, it was a constant battle. Um, But uh, we ended up obviously getting the town down to something we could afford. And what Chris and I did realize after I took a visit to it myself was Chris, there's some incredible period buildings that are, untouched Oppenheimer's house. There was this um, women's dormitory that we ended up turning into the uh, the interior of the tea section, which was where he held all of his lectures, Oppenheimer. And we utilized the ex- the tea section in the movie was the in- behind the, behind the black and white um, uh, kind of fence structure. And we, you know, utilize all the buildings you could go in and out, but um, the interiors were primarily at the actual Los Alamos within those um, period buildings, which was a huge asset to us. So we did a week up there at Los Alamos proper. Um, and I don't, I think it was a, six days at, at our exterior. His office was interior exterior, but yeah. Yeah. Um, in our last discussion for Nope, you talked mm-hmm. about creating these white models of mm-hmm. Jupiter's claim. Mm-hmm. And so was that kind of work being done on Oppenheimer? Um, I would assume for Los Alamos, but also anywhere mm-hmm. else. Um, and if you could just sort of talk about the process of making that and what that sort of gives you. Yes. As a production designer. Um, great memory. It. What I like to do, I mean, you know, there's, there's, you can do these beautiful, fancy architectural models, but A, that takes time, it takes money. And the great thing about these foam core white models is it shows you scale and they can be done very quickly. And when we initially had drawn up the town, I immediately like to put it, get a model maker going and put that into three dimensional, uh, form as well as, and, to just understand the scale and scope and Chris and Hoyta can hold up cameras and you can actually shoot and we can get little figurines to um, all in scale, vehicles, trees, whatever. Um, 
we did this. And I think the first town I designed was about 20 million bucks. And Chris was like, nope. <laughs> and, but it was epic and it was wonderful, but it was just beyond, you know, we had the rest of the movie we needed to make. And, but it was great because it's basically like, great, which buildings are going to the graveyard. So you're just sort of pulling them off and reconfiguring them. And it's almost like a giant game monopoly. It's like, not this one, not this one. Um, but, and then we were able to kind of get it down uh, to what we felt was our main street and the t- go, j- kind of how we were going to drive up. And that was in Los Angeles. Um, and it, it, we had that in, in uh, and that just sort of, I don't think we traveled it to New Mexico. We didn't need to at that point. Once we kind of signed off on the town, um, we you know, hit the ground running, building it, laying it out. And Chris and Hoyta would come out and see. Um, I remember when I originally staked the construction, staked the town out um, after we sort of signed off on the white model, brought Chris out, walked the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, great. This feels great. You know, just so you're doing that exercise of, okay, here's one end of main street. Here's the other end of main street. We had, you know, um, giant two by fours with orange flags with the carpenters at each side going, okay, that's your, that's your, so it, it, um, I think it's just a wonderful way to, to let obviously the director, the cinematographer, myself understand the, the scale and scope of what we'll, what we will have. Um, and then it's when you're up there in the real, you know, there's, I think I want to say there's a few things we ended up tweaking, but, um, that's no problem. You know, it's like the, the model allows us to, to, to arrive. And, and uh, then it gives us all something to just talk through too, as we're going throughout prep and you can kind of go back to the model with the ADs with whoever you need to, um, you know, with grip and electric, we're talking about where we foresee all of our lighting and cabling and doing all that stuff. So. Yeah, it's an, it's, I think it's a wonderful tool and it's a very inexpensive, um, efficient tool that you can do very cheap. I mean, we had one med- model maker do all of it and he would just jam. And when we make changes or cut buildings, he was, you know, it was, it was, uh, so, and, and, uh, I don't think there was too much else. We, I don't believe we ended up cause we built in its entirety, the steel tower, we had the original drawings to that steel tower, um, which was actually already in existence when they found it. It was some sort of radio tower. Um, and then they ended up uh, utilizing it for their test and then the bunkers we built. But we did that in the computer, but I don't, I mean, it was, that was such a vast scale in terms of how far away the bunkers were from the, the deal. But um we did a lot of that through Google Earth and different programs to understand, okay, here's our tower, here's our bunker, here's the hill where they're going to watch, et cetera. But, um, I think, so I think the only white model was, was Los Alamos itself. Okay. So in our last interview, um, you described uh, your conversation with Jordan Peele about the design of Nope, um, and he said he wanted to have the weirdness of Twin Peaks, but with the realness of Manchester by the Sea. And I... And I was wondering if you can similarly describe your approach to Oppenheimer through and through the qualities of like any other films, you know? Yes. You know, it's interesting. I think um, the the interesting part about obviously Nope and Us compared to an Oppenheimer, those were 
um, obviously Jordan's original scripts, as was Chris's, but it was an adaption of a real life event and time and place. So I think the, the biggest difference is it wasn't so much comparing it to other, the, the essences of other films. I think there, you know, to Jordan's projects, there was this fantastical otherworldly element combined with him wanting it to be grounded and mm-hmm. rooted in reality where this was entirely in reality. Um, and we had all of the research and beyond to know exactly what it looks like. So the difference was I, Chris was often reminding me to di- completely divorce myself. I would get so engrossed in the research and he's just like, look, I'm not making a documentary. And, you know, he'd often say to me, he's like, this cannot be a snooze fest. I'm selling popcorn. I am not, you know, I think I, I would just really lean into it and say, but, um, so what we often were, what, what Chris's biggest thing was wanting to fight the contrivedness of an overly period film meaning you're just the film is filled with it's 1954 or it's 1938 or 1942 and um we wanted he wanted it to have a timeless feel um and 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 almost be very modern in its own right in, in the way that you know if an example would be if it was like 32, I was like, well, no one would really be driving a brand new 1932 vehicle. They'd be probably driving a car from the twenties or, and he's just like, but the cars from the twenties, the model T's were so boxy and specific and almost ornate and distracting that he's like, I, I much prefer almost the frame from 1937. And of course I'm going, oh my gosh, they're going to eat us alive on Reddit and go, it's not 1937 and it's 1932. And I think the reality is, and, and, and all of that, at the end of the day, yes, sure, you, you could then go through, but I think that's not the point of the film, actually. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's it's sort of like you're, you're recreating an essence. You're recreating a, a, a moment in time. And while we wanted to um, be accurate and be correct, it, there's also just an artistry to we we could do whatever we wanted essentially you know i mean it was but you you know i think i think the main thing is chris and i wanted to keep the audience we wanted to take them right there and you wanted to feel as though you were i think we just wanted them to be lost in the film and not every all all these distractions conscious of all the details yes exactly and and i think um so there was not a specific there was not um sort of a film reference of sorts that we were using in that way um, in for this. It was using the actual research and then essentially designing the film we wanted to design and really um, wanting to take everyone to that place, both emotionally, subconsciously, but in reality and for instance, it's like we didn't end up in this epic hearing room where Strauss is, it's a very mid-century, it was built in the 40s, but it, a very modern, 40-foot walls, um, you know, sleek wood and brass. And we ended up in New Mexico in one of, in, in downtown Santa Fe, in one of their government buildings, 
the architecture was entirely different, but I don't think anyone ever guessed or went like, oh, that's not at the Capitol. Like you just don't even, we rebuilt the desk exactly. But so I think we, it, there was, um, we got to take, you know, uh, our own, our own creative approaches to recreating that moment. But really beyond that moment, it was about what was happening. The actors, it's like when, when they walked into that ballroom that looked like it had all the kind of chairs stacked up and the big floral arrangements, Chris is like, what if we took a New York city hotel? And I remember our, our, um, uh, Lauren, uh, Sandoval, who is our incredible researcher. She's like, well, Chris, this, this meeting did not take place in in New York. I think it took place in DC. And Chris is like, sure. But again, you know, I think those details, it's like, and so I think we were kind of, I, we ended up, let me get back up. I'm jumping around. We, we ended up that specific scene we did in the, it was kind of like a great room in a girl's private school in Albuquerque. And I was like, I want to make it look like the Carlisle in the 1940s. And we did. And we brought in, you know, these period flower arrangements and that just sort of tried to, uh, the window treatments, the tables. And, and the idea is that they had just commandeered this um, conference room that had probably been a wedding that day or was going to be a wedding and was getting set up. And they just, you know, and, and it, it was Chris's idea entirely. He's like, I want this massive floral arrangement that the, the actors are having to like, you know, and just all those little things that um, give his film life and, and, and just create this, it's very random and kind of just, but also very natural if you think about it versus, you know, we could have absolutely gone to like some sleek conference room that fit exactly the amount of men that were going to be there and discussing this. And, but it was, I loved um, the fluidity that Chris just kind of kept things very raw and real and honest and natural. I think we really wanted to lean into um, naturalism as much as possible without kind of contriving each scene to be like well it took place it you know so and and i think the whole flow of the film you end up getting because of those elements you get completely lost in it and you're just thinking it doesn't matter if you know new york dc boston whatever it's like it was a conference room or a, a, no in that case it was like a ballroom in that case it was actually a girl's school in the middle of albuquerque <laughs> So wild. What an interview. I just I just wish there was more. <sighs> Me too. But you know, maybe like we said, after the next cool movie she does, maybe she can be our first three time three-time guest. Oh, I, I was going to say, I hope there was just more of this interview. Uh, oh, oh, Parth, I have good news for you in that case. What? There is. There is. All you have to oh do God. is wait seven more calendar days, and... Uh, the day of the Lord, right? Y- yeah, that's the day we release episodes, Sundays, and um, there will be another, like, 30 minutes for you to listen to. Wow. Now and- that has brightened my day. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you again to Ruth the Young for copping on, uh, for an hour long discussion. Wait, Parth, don't you mean opping on? Ooh, ooh, <laughs> this guy's crazy. Um, 
Yes. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on to this discussion. Um, we will see you guys next week um, for part two of our discussion or our, of our interview with uh, Ruth Young. And Trent, can this be like, where is this going to be available even? We're in a little bit, or rather, I'm in a little bit of rush, so I'm going to make it snappy. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. And if you are listening to us, thank you. Um, and leave a positive five-star review, write some words if possible. That would be appreciated. Um, is that it? Yeah. We'll see you next week, guys. Let's see if Trent catches his train. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. Let's see if Trent can Part- drive to where he needs to drive. Parthino and Eyes Wide Shut, where Nicole Kidman goes, Did you like getting a little titty squeezed? <laughs> Bye. Bye, Parth. <laughs>